This is the Daily Detail, powered by 1819 News. Honest News. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. The voice of Alabama values. Alabama. Unbelievable people. And now, here is Andrea Tice. This week, 19 Republicans joined Democrats in voting against an amendment that would have ended the federal vaccine mandates coming from the Biden administration. One of those 19 senators joining the Democrats was Alabama Senator Richard Shelby. Four other Republican senators failed to show up for a vote. Those senators were Senators Mitt Romney of Utah, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, James Inhofe of Oklahoma, and Richard Burr of North Carolina. Republican Representative Chip Roy of Texas made a comment following the failure of the amendment saying that the GOP leadership within the Senate was coordinating with Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in order to give them an advantage in votes. Senator Mike Lee of Utah is the one who offered the amendment to end the mandates and those getting fired for not taking the COVID-19 vaccine. There's a controversial election issue that has arisen within the Secretary of State race here in Alabama. This issue has come about over the use of a nonprofit organization that's used within Alabama elections. One of the candidates running as a Republican for the Secretary of State, Wes Allen, has raised the issue on the Election Registration Information Center, which is also referred to as ERIC. Allen is making a campaign promise to remove Alabama's contract with Eric and no longer send out voter information to that group as a means of purging the voter rolls. Recently in Wisconsin, the election committee chairwoman in that state's legislature talked about Eric and its failure to clean up the voter rolls or provide the data when requested. State lawmaker Janelle Branton spoke about it on OAN just this week. Well, you know, we've been a part of Eric for a long time. And what's crazy is... They were supposed to help us clear out double voters, voters from other states, to make sure that we didn't have someone voting in Wisconsin and Illinois or Wisconsin and Florida. And instead, when we got this information back, we found thousands of voters without last names and thousands of voters without voter numbers. The point of ERIC, this electronic registration system, was to help us find and clarify our voting list. And instead, that is not what we had in last Wednesday's hearing. When it comes to the current Secretary of State, John Merrill, who will not be seeking re-election, Merrill says that Eric provides a necessary service that those within the state elections office cannot provide or maintain. Merrill says Alabama pays the group over $25,000 a year for their services in cleaning up voter rolls and cross-referencing moved voters who have registered in other states. Merrill also told 1819 News that Eric can assist in locating and removing illegal immigrants from the voter rolls. However, when 1819 News looked at the contract that Alabama has with Eric, there was language that said, under no circumstances shall the members who subscribe to the service transmit any record indicating an individual is a non-citizen of the U.S. 1819 News Managing Editor Erica Thomason has written a full article on this issue, and you can find that at 1819news.com. Another story that was covered by the Daily Detail and 1819 News earlier this week has to do with the teachers union here in Alabama, the Alabama Education Association, and the amount of campaign contributions that have been made to state lawmakers. This becomes of particular relevance now that state lawmakers are considering the Parental Choice Act during this year's legislative session. 1819 News reporter Sean Patrick Taylor wrote up the story about the AEA, and he also attended the Tuesday rally in Montgomery promoting parental choice. He talked to me about what he observed on the ground. 
there's there's progress being made on on this particular issue in, in terms of opening other people's minds to the possibilities of it, and um, I think that obviously COVID and just the, the national sort of um, awareness towards education and the problems that we're going to be facing over the next five or ten years, resulting from the disastrous, you know, insane school closings that went on just inexcusably too long and will be one of the great um, shames of the ruling generation uh, now, so to speak. But I think that people understand the imperative and the emergency to address these issues, particularly in Alabama, obviously, that we're you know, 50th in um, education. So, you know, I, I would think that a crisis. Again, people are realizing that that they need to do something and, and seeing different approaches to education and bringing new ideas to it uh, are crucial at this juncture. New ideas, new processes, new uh, concepts, not so much money. Right. And that was one of the things that Chairman Wall expressed at the rally that, um, you know, more regulation, more money does not equal better education. And, and I certainly agree with him there, and I would think that um, history has borne that out. I mean, that there's strong proof for that. Um, it's one of the most crucial issues that we face as a state, and and again, the, the results that we're getting now are are, are not um, satisfactory to say the least. So, from what you saw there, you did you feel like parents are getting organized on the other end of this spectrum? not to overcome teachers, but to work with them, but also demand their rights as parents. Absolutely. I, I thought throughout the day I heard, again, I mean, momentum on the on the, the side of the parents, but respect, admiration for the teachers at, you know, in every speech and every stop. I mean, this is, and this is another thing that was made clear to me in a number of the discussions I had about the AEA is that the, you know, Everybody loves and respects teachers. So that's not the question. You know, as chairman, I believe it was chairman wall who said it's a question of their union and the union leadership advocating for things that aren't even necessarily in the interest of all teachers, but maybe just a particular group of teachers or whatnot. So I definitely sensed again, momentum among the parents for this. It was a, I thought it was a robust rally, we'll say. I mean, there was over 200 people. Um, and I sense genuine enthusiasm over the issue. And, and again, I think that we're seeing this play out across the country on different things. So it's, I think it's an exciting development. It's needed, as we were saying, with the troubles from COVID. And um, so we're going to keep following it and see uh, where the issue goes from here. A rabies case has emerged in a pet dog in Elmore County, the Alabama Department of Public Health has confirmed the rabies diagnosis along with analysis from the local veterinarian. The family dog was not vaccinated for rabies and was not contained at that home, so it could have come in contact with other animals in that area. The entire family must now undergo rabies prevention treatments. State health officials are notifying those in the area of the rabies cases to find out if any of them had contact with the dog. The ADPH also says this is a good time to remind pet owners throughout the state that rabies vaccinations are required in order to avoid potential harm and infection to humans. For more in-depth stories affecting the state of Alabama, go to 1819news.com. 
In national news, President Joe Biden's brains have become a hot topic these days, apparently. A survey that was conducted by Rasmussen shows that Democrats are uniting with Republicans in calling for a cognitive brain test for the president. 43% of those surveyed by Rasmussen would like Biden to take a similar mental cognitive test to what Donald Trump took while he was in office. That leaves 47% of Democrats not concerned with the issue. 39% of Democrats said on the survey that they have witnessed a mental decline occur before their eyes ever since Biden took office only a year ago. Overall, 66% of voters want Biden tested and 56% are not confident that he's up for the job. This comes after three dozen House Republicans sent a letter to Biden urging him strongly to get tested for his mental capacity. As Democrat governors in four to five states have all simultaneously lifted their mask mandates, Dr. Anthony Fauci thinks that removing masks from students' faces is still too risky. Fauci spoke about it on CNN. It's understandable why people want to take masks off the kids. But right now, given the level of activity that we have, it is risky. Meanwhile, Dr. Marty McCary with Johns Hopkins University is calling the Center for Disease Control an agency that now uses science as political propaganda. McCary spoke on Fox Business about the deeply flawed studies done in Arizona that the CDC used to justify the continuation of masks in schools. It really is offensive. It should be offensive to anybody who believes in science, including our nation's physicians. This is using science as political propaganda. The absolute worst studies that were done during the pandemic came out of the CDC. The Maricopa mask study, so deeply flawed, the number of schools in the study didn't even match the number of schools in the geographic area they said they were studying. The ignoring of natural immunity was based on two highly flawed CDC studies, and yet they parrot these studies again and again, and much of the media just reports it out. Um, If you look at most of the misguidance that we've gotten, it has been based on flawed science with a lot of the community complicit in what they're putting out. A judge has ruled in a case involving Donald Trump. The judge says that the former president and his two adult children must take part in a deposition. A few months ago, the New York Attorney General launched a civil investigation into Trump's business practices. Now Judge Arthur Ngoron has ordered that Trump and his son Donald Trump Jr. and daughter Ivanka comply with subpoenas that were issued to them by the New York AG Letitia James. The three Trumps have 21 days to comply with the judge's order. Trump's attorneys have not made any public statements on whether that ruling will be immediately appealed. Donald Trump has come back in the news this week, not just with this recent judge ruling, but ever since court filings by special counsel John Durham have revealed the actions of Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in regards to Trump. Those court filings from Durham show that Clinton and her lawyers paid a tech company to infiltrate servers at Trump Towers and the White House. Now another survey by Rasmussen shows that 68% of likely voters believe that what Durham has brought to light is very important. They even described it as far greater in scope and magnitude than the Watergate scandal. 53% say the news outlets are not covering the story adequately. That poll was conducted within 1,000 likely voters between February 15th and the 16th. The Canadian Prime Minister is going down a dangerous road of government tyranny and infringement. Justin Trudeau is using a recently declared national emergency to freeze the bank accounts of Canadian truckers who are in the city of Ottawa protesting the COVID-19 mandates that have been in place in that country for two years. 
Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland confirmed that personal information had been obtained by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and was being transferred to banking institutions. And accounts have been frozen and more accounts will be frozen. Uh, Crowdfunding platforms and payment service providers have started the registration process with FinTrack. Uh, In terms of the specifics on whose accounts are being frozen, uh, you now have the regulations. The financial service providers have those regulations as well. And they, working with law enforcement, will be making the operational decisions. Friedland is on the board of trustees for the World Economic Forum, a group of globalists who really like the idea of a one-world government That group is headed up by Klaus Schwab. You're listening to The Daily Detail from 1819 News. You won't want to miss out on the 1819 News podcast that's hosted by Brian Dawson as he brings in Congressman Mo Brooks to tell his story before he became a member of Congress. Uh, I was a commercial litigator most of my career in the private sector. That's the primary source of our family's income uh, during our lifetimes. What is a commercial litigator? Well, it's someone who represents generally a business in a dispute with another business. And we were blessed, uh, the law firm, uh, Carl Leo, um, was the uh, chief counsel for a company by the name of ABC Supply out of Wisconsin. You're probably familiar with them. They are America's largest distributor of roofing, siding, and windows. I think ABC and I think liquor stores in Alabama. That's weird. (laughs) Well, that wasn't it. <laughs> Not them. Okay, that's good. <laughs> and uh, they uh, decided to hire our law firm in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, predominantly because of Carl's connections. Carl had made the relationship before I had joined the firm. And my role was as chief litigation counsel for ABC Supply for almost two decades throughout the United States of America. I had no idea about the private sector aspects of your career. Um, well, you've been listening to Katie Britt and Mike Durant. <laughs> way they too act much, like way too much. They act like I've not. Well, Mike Durant has <laughs> deceived people by saying I've never had a real job. Yeah. Okay. And I might be the one person who's earned the most money in the private sector out of all the candidates who are running for the United States Senate. Well, Mike's made a lot of money too. So, well, oh, he has <laughs> off of tax dollars. <laughs> there you go. His his private sector work was billing taxpayers yeah uh, and mine was purely private sector where i had to compete with other people who wanted the same private business that i wanted it was not tax related interesting it was not living off of any government yeah i also didn't know that you had the did you say it was a double major in economics or and political science and political yes. science there you go so that's kind of of the history i should add that those four kids that martha and i had they've done great uh they've got four spouses and all four marriages are doing great, and they've given us 13 wonderful grandchildren. There you wow. go. Most recently, my daughter Chelsea had twin girls a few months ago, and my uh, oldest son, Jay, uh, he, he's the only one that lives in Birmingham. Everybody else lives in Madison County. Uh, he and his wife, Katie, who's a, a doctor at UAB, uh, they had their first daughter. So we have a lot of uh, family connections, a lot of fun with the 13 grandkids. That's awesome. You can listen to that podcast by going to the podcast tab on 1819news.com. If you're enjoying the daily detail and want to get those reports directly to your phone, be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. 
I'm Andrea Tice. I'll see you again on Monday. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. Alabama. Of Alabama. This has been The Daily Detail. For more up-to-date news, go to 1819news.com, where you'll find honest news and Alabama values. 